Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a good football show. I am Patrick Darty, joined as always by Mr. Denny Carter. We're going to take a spin through this week's biggest headlines, including the Cowboys' as curious Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper comments. We will then dive into Denny's wide receiver seasons in review column, touching on players like A.J. Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, Terry McLaurin, and Stefan Diggs. But first, Denny, Matt Reeves is the Batman. Yes. On Thursday. Maybe it's Wednesday. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, firstly, this is not a Comcast Universal picture, so don't see it. But Denny, the movie is two hours and 55 minutes long. It is also yet another tortured soul Bruce Wayne portrayal. If people are listening. They can't see you like immediately burying your hand in your <laughs> My question is here, are movies too long, Denny? And how much more of Batman's soul is there to bear? These are good questions, and I and I think that Hollywood should consider these questions the next time they want to reboot the franchise. Now, I've been alive for 38 years. Uh, this is the fourth, maybe the fifth reboot of the Batman series. I'm tired of Batman movies. I'm okay with there being no more, and uh, I think that we might want to go down that path. And yes, for the love of God, why does every Batman movie have to be three hours now? You know, the best Batman movie, the first one in 1989, was not three hours. No, movies back then, it was probably 58 minutes. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. And it, you know, made you know, $104 million and it was the highest grossing picture it, of all time. It was just a different era. But I mean, so I mean, first off, the Christopher Nolan Batmans, I mean, those were fine. They were like operatic for yeah. better or worse. I mean, yeah. it was like literally like an opera, like how overwrought and dramatic it was, but it was good. But yeah, I mean, I, I think we've reached the peak. So yeah, you know, the 80s and 90s, we like never contextualized anything. We like never considered like, oh, maybe Batman shouldn't be such a toxic male. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, but uh and beat but, up beat up uh drug dealers on the street for Yeah, no but now you know, like like, you know, like the most recent James Bond, you know, maybe I don't need 20 minutes of James Bond gazing out the window, impressed. Uh, <laughs> um, like, is James Bond gonna, like, gonna kill anybody soon? I mean, uh, I mean, uh, I, I had to, did he not kill people in the last one? No, I mean, he, he don't worry, he killed so many okay. people, but uh, yeah, it's just it's not the same, uh, right? He's the, you know, when he's like, I, I, bearing his feelings, and yeah, it's, it's not really much of a diversion. Any these days right. is what I'm getting at. Um, there, there are no diversions, by the way. That's uh, true. That's uh, a good point. <laughs> everything is as grimy and realistic as possible. 
uh every i mean they did it to fresh prince you know yeah. fresh prince is now a gritty but check uh, it out on peacock denny um, really and, check I, it out and, on peacock, I, denny. and by the way i love it you know that, that's the thing i wanted to get to first <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was a very lighthearted uh, uh, comedy for those who don't remember. And, and now now it's not. I, I do want to say there, the ringer has a really good appreciation piece on Batman Returns, which is for the Zoomers, the 1991 sequel to the first Batman with with um, Michael Keaton. Michael played Keaton. Batman. Danny, and, Danny and, DeVito played the penguin. Yeah. It's a different time. And uh, man, that movie was underrated. I I read that. And now I want to watch the movie again because that that's like a real like like a real, a real gothic type movie um, with lots of political angles. I, I I do appreciate that one a lot. But yeah, so I mean, first off, I'm not just saying this because it's on Peacock. The Fresh Prince thing to me, it's a little more interesting when it's like a total juxtaposition. But like right. with Batman and like James Bond, where it's just like nonstop explorations of their yeah. past trauma, and like you know they like made James Bond like serialized yeah. too. Like the one of like when like the key like the James Bond franchise used to be, well you didn't have to see Moonraker you know uh, to understand <laughs> Tomorrow Never Dies or whatever. And then right. when I saw View View to a Kill whatever this one last one was called like Kill the Killing Man, the Killing View, yeah the Killing View or it was No Time to Die I believe. There was like plot points you know like from the past three James Bonds. Like, I'm like I don't remember who this guy killed like three years yeah, ago. Like <laughs> my my whole life has to be dedicated to to documenting James Bond movies in order for me to watch the 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 new one. By the way, uh, in the in the new Batman, I do have to see it though, uh, even though it's not an NBC Universal product. I'm sorry, I have to see it because I have to know: uh, Do Bruce Wayne's parents die? Yeah. Uh, we don't we don't know. We've never known that, and yeah. I frankly do kind of want to see it. I'm actually not much of a superhero person, but, but or at all. Superhero. He's not a superhero. That's true. I think the last superhero movie, the one I saw, was like where Iron Man went to Iraq or something. Um, oh, dear God. That, yeah. that was a real thing. The 2000s were a different time, too. Yeah. Uh, Bat- Batman is uh, Elon Musk with a cape on. Yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's where we're trending, basically. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. And, but, but, too, like, now every movie wants to be a TV show. Every TV show yeah. wants to be a movie, Denny. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough out here. I'm 35 years old, if you're wondering and listening. Um, <laughs> Not 55. Yeah, like but yeah still, I'm, I'm getting there. That's the point. Uh, Denny, it's March 1st. The Dallas Cowboys can't help but making news no matter what day of the calendar it is. Speaking Monday, Stephen Jones confirmed that Ezekiel Elliott's unmovable contract is quote-unquote going to be here in 2022. Denny, are you, as you or any listener of this show knows by now, Tony Pollard was the better back in 2021. But can he actually be drafted as such in offseason best ball leagues? Or are we just like begging to get burned again? When I did my initial offseason rankings, I actually was like, I'm going to have Tony Pollard ranked ahead of Ezekiel Elliott because he's just better. Like the Cowboys have gotten smacked over the head with this. They're going to have to flip up the usage in 2022. The more I thought about it, I mean, that's that's not going to happen, is it? It's is definitely it? Not, yeah, no, it's definitely not happening. Oh, that's uh, sorry. It, it it really pains me to say it because we all we all want the better back to get the you know the the majority of the workload. We all want Pollard to emerge, but uh, the Cowboys love Ezekiel Elliott. He never misses time, even though he's constantly injured. You very stupidly paid him uh, a tremendous amount of money, and good for him, by the way, for getting that. Uh, but and and you know you look at last year. One stat that really jumps out uh, when you look at the peripheral stuff. Tony Pollard's breakaway rate was 31 percent 
Um, that's eighth among all running backs. So that that measures the uh, percentage, the percentage of runs that were at least 15 yards. Okay, so 31% of his rushes went for at least 15 yards. Ezekiel Elliott's breakaway rate was 14.6%. That, if you were wondering, Pat, is around Philip Lindsay and well below Rex Burkhead. And Zeke like used to be a kind of a breakaway runner. Like he would break long runs. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head where he's been done in by kind of one of his best traits, which is his durability. Like the dude like never misses time, but he's like any other running back where he picks up a lot of nicks and bruises. And I think he's like played through so many injuries at this point that he's just like lost that explosiveness he had earlier in his career. And yeah, I mean, Steven Jones isn't lying. Like the contract is basically unmovable. It's uncuttable. And but as the, the for, so first off, never be a good blocker as a tight end, as That's we know, true. and as a running back, never be a good third down back earlier <laughs> in your career because yeah. no matter what, that is what you will be for the rest of your career. That right? seems to be the case. Um, yeah, and and if you're you're talking about like the high value from a fantasy standpoint, if you're talking about like the high value touches, the the touches that we want to uh, for running backs to get, that they all belong to Ezekiel Elliott, and there's no real reason right now to believe that they won't uh, again belong to him in 2022. Last year, uh, Ezekiel Elliott had 22 touches inside the 10-yard line. Uh, Pollard had a grand total of three. Man, oh, man. And yeah, I just think Tony Pollard, he's just – he's like in stuck in Duke Johnson land, basically. We're like, if you, earlier in your career, if you catch passes and you have success in that change of pace, pass-catching role, they just typecast you as that forever, basically. Yeah. And, and and I Pollard strikes me, you know, in best ball drafts, probably in redraft leagues, as a as the kind of player who everybody knows the upside. Like everybody knows a season ending injury for Ezekiel Elliott means uh Tony Pollard to the moon, as the kids say online. And I can't believe I just said that. But uh no, edit out, please. And, but but see that 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 will be priced into his ADP. Like where you can't fool anybody these days. You know, it's it's not pe- the people have access to this information. People listen to this podcast, Pat. I think that uh Pollard will be outside of my desired ADP. For Zeke, so like we no one's gonna want to draft Zeke. We know that. Um, this year, or like even like the norm, like it doesn't matter. Like if you're an expert, if you're a normie, if it's a homely, <laughs> like no one is going to want to draft Ezekiel Elliott, which of course then in turn often creates value without knowing like the current ADPs. Or I have no idea, like with the initial best ball ADPs. Are like what round in your head would sound right? Like where you would finally have to be like, all right, I'm going to draft Ezekiel Elliott. Like, oh, man. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm i afraid to answer this truthfully because uh, I'm, I, would, I don't want to let down my fellow zero, zero RB. Would you take Zeke in the fourth, Denny? You know, from a Again, pure volume. This is vo- stripped of context completely. Right, right. From a pure volume standpoint, yeah, I think I would. Would you draft him in the third? I, I don't think so. I, I, I really think that it would be really hard to take him over – Players going in the third, and this is this is saying this without you know looking at ADPs because by the way it's March. So yeah. um, I, it is I, March, I, by the way. We're making progress. It is March. Yeah. Uh, so I no I, um, I think fourth would be it, but he's not he's not going in the fourth. He's going in the second, third round. Yeah, he'll probably. I don't know if he'll go in the second still, but I do feel like Zeke is going to be. I feel like every year there's a few guys who fall and fall and fall, and finally like well, this guy's just going to get so much volume. I just have to do it. Yeah. And a lot of times that it just still doesn't end up working out. Like I don't, I'm trying to think of some good examples from last year. Maybe like Chris sure. Carson. 
Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, drafting simply because Mike Davis last year. Yes. Mike Davis and Mike Davis, you know, I, I, I didn't get the appeal unless he dropped way below his ADP. There's just, there's, there's uh, no reason to go in on, on guys who clearly they don't have it. And like, you know, Mike Davis was a little di- a different uh, case than, than Elliot, but man, Elliot would have to drop pretty far for me to be interested. Yeah. I just think he's going to be that guy where like, the value is like an illusion, basically. And yeah. there's just no – I mean, I don't know, because he scored like a flukily low amount of touchdowns last year, didn't he? How many t- – he, well, he scored 10. I mean, he needs to score 10 to 12 touchdowns at the bare minimum. I feel like for you to be happy with him, it's like a third or fourth round pick. And I guess that's viable in this offense, but – like you said, he just he just doesn't have it anymore. Um, yeah, and I, I want people to be mentally prepared for what's coming in July and August, which uh, is a, a series of stories saying Ezekiel Elliott is better than ever. Uh, <laughs> he he's over his his injuries. He's doing a new training regimen. He's eating salad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna get a lot of salad stories for Ezekiel Elliott, and and we have to be prepared for that. Yeah, I mean Ezekiel Elliott is the master. Every summer he's been working out in American Samoa for two months for some reason. <laughs> I'm not really sure why he's there in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, but yeah, he's been hitting out there just leg pressing every day. He's right. running on the beach, like dragging like boats behind him for some reason. That makes you stronger, apparently. And he every offseason, I do feel like Zeke is. And so that would be a huge red flag, actually, to me, if we're not getting Zeke best shape of his life. Like, if Zeke's just finally like, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not going to go train in Tahiti for nine months this offseason. Right. Uh, I'm picturing uh, uh, the, the the training montage from Rocky Four only in a tropical setting. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be in a tropical setting. <laughs> so uh, probably a very nice Mexican resort. That's what he's done several times yeah. in the past. But elsewhere in Cowboys land, Stephen Jones refused to commit to Amari Cooper being on the 2022 roster, just as his father Jerry Jones did before him. Steven just wants to be like, dad, dad, just love me. Uh, Cooper comes with a 20 million salary and $22 million cap hit in 2022. He was merely the wide receiver 28 by total PPR points in 2021. He was the wide receiver 30 by average PPR points. Releasing Cooper would create about 16, $17 million in cap space. I mean, what do you make of this, this Amari Cooper saber rattling? Did I mean, they're trying to get him to take a pay cut. Are they actually going to cut him? Like it's weird with Michael Gallup being injured and a free agent. Like, did you have any like feel like what's actually going on here with this these weird Cowboys public comments on Amari Cooper? They're not happy with him. You know, uh, uh, Jerry Jones made some comments shortly after the Cowboys postseason loss to the 49ers saying like, where where was Amari? Like, I you know he needs to be out there making plays and. Then the Stephen Jones comments, Amari Cooper himself wasn't what, you know, wasn't thrilled with the, with how, how things were run, no. uh, how the offense was run. Um, I, I, I think that there's a real possibility he's not a cowboy next year. And like when those, when Jerry Jones made those comments, I remember there were some people interpreting them differently. And like, you could kind of, where it was kind of like, why weren't we using Amari more or like better? Where mm-hmm. I, I thought it was clear that he was just like being like Amari needs to be play better. Yeah. And I would have to say Stephen Jones's comments this week confirm that interpretation that they just like think he's they're not getting enough from Amari. And is Amari he's like is he just like doomed to forever be one of those good but not great players where the setup, I mean, I don't know how many different times the setup could be just perfect for this guy. And he somehow just never quite gets there. I mean, he's always he's always very good. 
he's almost always pro bowl level, but he seems like stuck in like that 900 to 1200 yard range. Mm-hmm. Which we get it. You're a very good NFL player, but it just seems like the ceiling season's never going to come. We're never going to get the, the more that has always seemed to be like so tantalizingly close for Amari Cooper. And it seems to have tilted the Jones family out of their minds. Dude. Yeah. I, th- I think they, they thought they were getting like an elite uh, receiver when they, when they signed him and, uh, I don't. I don't see any indication that that's that that's going to be the case going forward. I mean, he's entering uh, this year. He's entering his tw- age twenty eight season. You know, at, he's far from done. I'm, I'm not saying that, but you know, you typically we like to see those ceiling seasons happen in the you know twenty four, twenty five, twenty six year range. Twenty eight is is a little bit out there as far as uh, like top end prospects for for a wide receiver. Uh, yeah, I, I think that they're, they're probably the team's expectations were too high. But, you know, Cooper's comments uh, about the team kind of reflect what C.D. Lamb told us at the Super Bowl, which is we'd like to be more aggressive. Uh, honestly, I feel like we, we got to be more aggressive. I feel like one early on we were attacking everybody the same way, just nitpicking, like running the ball, ground and pound, and then suddenly you got a shot over your head. So I think that there could be kind of simmering discontent among the the major players in the Dallas offense. Well, it's interesting is no one seems happy about the way the Cowboys offense is run. Like no fans, no executives, no players. Maybe they should just do something different in 2022 right. oh, yeah. um, and just be better and be yeah, not run Ezekiel Elliott between the tackles every first and second down and this seems like, yeah, when everyone is in alignment, maybe you should do something different, which, of course, this is Mike McCarthy. They will not. Yeah, it, it, it definitely felt it felt like every rushing attempt by Ezekiel Elliott was a wasted down um, by the yeah. end of the season. I just don't know. I don't know what they're trying to get out with Amari Cooper. They actually could recoup a lot of salary cap space yes. if they cut him. But I just that just doesn't strike me as I me. Mean, I guess maybe they've deluded themselves into like loving said Wilson. But I mean, Gallup, yeah, he's injured. He's a free agent. Dalton Schultz is a free agent. Uh-huh. I just don't really see this happening. And the mate, they're just like letting off steam, basically. Right. I have to uh, say this about the the Cowboys' offensive approach on third and short last year. They were minus they, their their pass rate over expected was minus six percent on third and one and How's two. How's that even possible? <laughs> and and uh, the rest of it looks looks okay. Like uh, first and ten, second and long, second and short. It, it's all kind of league average as far as pass rate over expected. But but they they went really heavy on on the run, and you know that's Ezekiel Elliott running him up the gut on third and one and two. That, that, that killed a lot of a lot of games, a lot of drives for the Cowboys. They need to not do that. Yeah, if you guys, Cowboys, are looking for ideas, just check out CeeDee Lamb's stunning appearance on a good football show. I, and I appreciated yeah, his candor. No, I did too. And he he was he was still trying to be diplomatic, yeah. but he was yeah. Like we should be more up tempo, more aggressive, and he was a thousand percent right because they have the personnel for that. Yes. Yeah. Thanks again, uh, CD. Shout, CD, you know, I know we're, CD and I are just texting all the time now and stuff. And, it's too much, honestly. You know. CD, you know, <laughs> stop blowing on my phone, please. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you very much, CD, for coming on the show. Speaking Tuesday, Broncos GM is this George Patton? Have we said on? Is he pronounce it Patton, or does he say something weird like Peyton? Payton. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's a uh, it's it's Patton. He's George. A, He's General Patton's uh, nephew. Right, I was, yeah. was going to say, I, I only think of World War II when I hear yeah, this. He dropped one of the T's, though, because, you know, George Patton, he got in trouble for doing some stuff. Yep, um, yep, some stuff. But speaking Tuesday, Broncos GM George Patton said he would like to have Melvin Gordon back 
and that the sides have quote unquote had really good discussions. Melvin Gordon is a free agent in case you did not know that <laughs> Denny are the Javante Williams truthers currently ruining their keyboards with tears at these words. And is there any way Javante could meet his RB one destiny? If the Broncos actually resign Melvin Gordon, this is not good. It's not, not a good development for those who, I mean, first of all, for people who are already drafting best ball teams, that's, you know, you, you, you do you, but uh, <laughs> if you are, if you are drafting Javante Williams with the assumption that Melvin Gordon is gone, this stings, right? This, this doesn't, doesn't feel great. You, last year, just the, the splits, cause Melvin Gordon missed one game against Kansas city. Uh, here, here are some of the splits. And I know one, a one game uh, absence isn't all that uh, informative, but um, we're going to do it anyway because it's March. So Javante uh, averaged 11.3 rushing attempts per game with Gordon in the lineup. He had 29 in Gordon's lone missed game. Javante saw 2.8. Javante saw 2.8 targets per game with Gordon in the lineup. He had nine in that game that Gordon missed. So, so the the opportunity gap is is real. Like Javante, and by the way, Javante Williams is one of the was one of the most efficient runners uh, in the league last season. He was fifth in pro football focuses, elusive rating. Gordon was 15th. Javante Williams was tied for 10th in runs of more than 15 yards. Gordon was tied for 29th. So, you know, he, Javante is the, the better runner, but if Melvin Gordon's there, it, the, you know, he's not going to just give a, a breather to Javante Williams. He's going to be there as a, as a one B back. Yeah. So I have a few thoughts. I feel like maybe Patton is just, kind of like doing his veteran a solid, like trying to like show him some respect and just not, like they are going to let him walk, but he's at least in public trying to be respectful, like of his contributions to the team. I mean, he is still a good player. That is the thing we talked about several times in 2021. It's not like Melvin Gordon was like totally washed or anything like that. Like he's still a pretty useful NFL running back. Javante Williams just seems better. Uh, but I mean, I don't know. He didn't have to say they might resign him. So I guess it's a real possibility my my point for Javante Williams would be even if they don't re-sign Melvin Gordon, I wouldn't 100% fly like the mission accomplished banner because so the Broncos have been a two back backfield for a long time. That doesn't really mean anything. So new coach is coming in, but Nathaniel Hackett, you know, is coming from like kind of the ultimate one, a one B backfield in the Packers where even with an elite talent, like Aaron Jones, they always involved Jamal Williams. They involved AJ Dillon in 2022. And I just wouldn't be shocked that, even if Melvin Gordon walks, if someone else is drafted, if someone mm-hmm. else is signed, and it, I mean, Javante would clearly be the one A. Finally, he wouldn't be. He would be the lead man in the committee. He could still push for RB one value, but I just would not assume that this is going to not be like a committee of sorts still in twenty twenty two. And then you can't really rest easy until we get through the draft and the Broncos. And the, but you don't have that luxury in best ball drafts. You have to project. You have to plant flags. But I would not rest easy on a lack of a Broncos committee until after the draft is all I would say. Yeah, I think it's perfectly reasonable. I think that there's a good, if not great, chance that the Broncos will head into the preseason and the regular season saying, yeah, like we're excited about the Javante, but, you know, but we have this other guy. We signed this fullback and he is (laughs) a hell of a blocker and he's just, we got to get him on the field. And and so an expectation that the team is going to, say, you know, what the bill said about CJ Spiller many moons ago and say, we're going to give it to him until he pukes that that's not going to happen here. Yeah. Every important third down for the Broncos in 2022 is going to be a fullback screen. And <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to learn to live with that. Yeah. 
Denny, the only prospect you are willing to talk about is Liberty quarterback Malik Willis. <laughs> ESPN's Todd McShay has said Willis is quote unquote more dynamic than yeah. Jalen Hurts, and that a team would have to go all in on Willis the way the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson for him to have success in the NFL. For, do I first off just tell us your thoughts on Malik Willis? Do we actually believe Willis would be immediately a better fantasy option than Jalen Hurts? Well, it caught my attention because uh, you may remember Jalen Hurts was the overall QB1 before his ankle injury um, by about 10 points over Tom Brady at the time. So, you know, that, that, that definitely seized my attention. Also, this idea that whoever whoever's going to draft Malik Willis will have to, you know, operate like the Ravens did when they drafted Lamar Jackson and completely change their offense and their team um, to, fit, to fit his game. I think that that's that's an exciting prospect from a fantasy standpoint. I know there there are concerns about Malik Willis's uh, accuracy at Liberty, but uh, I mean, look at the the you know the the numbers. You know, first of all, he threw twenty seven touchdowns in his final season there. Uh, he ran for more than eighteen hundred yards and twenty seven more touchdowns on the ground over his last two collegiate seasons. I, I think that the the hype around him could build to a point where he'll he'll be the clear cut first quarterback off the board uh and you know hopefully he goes to a team that's willing to go all in like McShay said well it's exciting in some respects like this is the kind of guy you got to build your offense around uh but what if it's a team then that drafts him and then just doesn't do that sure Matt Nagy's it and I will say I mean a totally imperfect comparison and I I, not, not not kidding I actually do like study some prospect film I haven't done that yet so going purely off the numbers but I mean Malik Willis he didn't play in Division One. I mean, Liberty's not a Division One school, right? Uh, Liberty FCS. Yeah, I, believe, I believe it is. Uh, oh my God! I'm gonna get exposed. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a Division One independent. That's right. Under Mr. Hugh Freeze, the disgraced Hugh Freeze, but he's not playing in Alabama. He's not playing at Oklahoma. He was Jalen Hurts was a much more efficient passer in college than Malik Willis was. Be 80 touchdowns, 20 interceptions in his career. Malik Willis 47, 48 touchdowns, 18 picks. I mean, Malik Willis was a better rusher in theory, but Jalen Hurts actually had the best rushing season between the two of them. Like Jalen Hurts's college production, both as a rusher and a passer, actually outshined Malik Willis's, and it, it, he did it at Alabama, right. Oklahoma. So I just wouldn't assume, you know, Malik Willis, I mean, Jalen Hurts isn't the world's biggest quarterback, and neither is Malik Willis. They're actually probably about the exact same size. And I would, I would just be a little leery of thinking Malik Willis can come in. And just like right. immediately, like even be like, like, uh, like an, an, an imitation of Jalen Hurts. And that I, I certainly, I will be more excited about Jalen Hurts for 2022 than Malik right. Willis, wherever he ends up. Well, I, I, there's also the issue, and I was thinking about this before the show, you know, Malik Willis is the kind of prospect that gets me over overly excited. And I, and I probably get too bullish um, with, with the tremendous buildup to the NFL draft, but you have to consider what transforming your offense looks like when when you when you go in on a quarterback like Willis. Like for instance, if the Falcons, you know, you know, drafted Willis, they would have to probably go into a very run heavy approach. And how does that affect Kyle uh, Kyle Pitts? How does that affect Calvin Ridley? Like, you know, Tears. Yeah, the the that's not it's not good objectively. It's not good. We we saw that before the Ravens got more balanced on offense in 2021. We saw that the same frustration with Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown. The volume simply wasn't there. 
Man, yeah, Liberty's been a Division One school since 2018, by the way. Another thing, the Batman movies are too long. We got too many Division One schools now. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, oh. There's a school in my hometown called Lindenwood. It's, it's a fine institution, but I don't think it's big enough to be Division One, and it just went Division One in every sport. Really? Yeah. You, probably, uh, you, ne- you never heard of it, I'm assuming. I, I, no, I never, I never heard of the state of Missouri. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I, I went. I, I like the old days when there were eight Division One schools. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, we're, yeah, we're just handing them out like candy now. Yeah, uh, but we will be right back. We're going to hand out wide receiver takes yes. like candy. And Denny, uh, I didn't know. I didn't tell you this for sure. We're talking about the Justin Jefferson stuff during the article segment, not the news segment. Okay. Sounds good. We are talking about it, and we will be talking about it right after this break. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The 2022 NBC Sports Edge Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide is available now, and we are giving our listeners a special offer. Get 22% off our draft guide and an annual Edge Plus subscription when you use the promo code BASE22. We get you ready for your fantasy draft with expert insight and tools at one low price. Go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash Edge Plus and use promo code BASE22 at checkout to save big this season. Denny, I mean, you'll be using our fantasy baseball premium products, right? Um, for sure. Have seen uh, a baseball game? The, the season starts in a couple weeks, right? Uh, yeah, there's, there's some hurdles between now and then, but I actually do. I'm a fantasy baseball fanatic. I use our products. They are great. I cannot wait for fantasy baseball because I'm an actual American. I'm like, Denny. <laughs> uh, and I love oh, fantasy baseball, but Denny's an actual American because he's obsessed with football and he's been breaking down the 2021 season. It's time to talk about your state of the wide receiver article, wide receivers article. Yeah. One that concluded the only good 2021 draft pick was Cooper cup. Denny, how's that actionable for 2022? It's actionable in this way. Uh, a lot of, as you'll see uh, in, in painstaking detail in the, in the article, a lot of high-end receivers, guys who drafted in the first, second, third rounds, had bad luck. It was uh, uh, it, the, the volatility didn't hit in, the po- in a positive way for guys like um, Terry McLaurin, for guys like A.J. Brown. Uh, they, you know, they were target dominators. They were downfield target dominators. And uh, it just didn't come to fruition. So the the opportunity was there for a lot of these guys who were very disappointing, you know, uh, for especially for zero RB types who wanted to build their lineups, you know, with these guys as the centerpieces. Very disappointing. But it's you know important to look at the peripherals, and that's that's what I did in the piece. And I think you might come away thinking, you know, maybe maybe going going in on receivers again in 2022 might not be as painful as I thought it would be. It really is a great piece. A lot of great stuff in there. And like you said, like I said, there's some stuff on Justin Jefferson and like you wanted to talk about. So the Vikings now are sending the right signals on offense that they're going to try. They're not going to run just for the sake of it. They're going to put, so you talk about Justin Jefferson, you know, been so explosively successful in an offense that didn't like set him up to succeed. Like he's just that good. 
He's just one of the league's most productive receivers the past two seasons in an offense where that was far from a given. An offense where he wasn't even like the number one receiver in the red zone. Right. So it's kind of what right. is – I'm going to ask you a follow-up question too, but like what what is your your initial Justin Jefferson 2022 takeaways besides the fact that he is uh, quite good? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, like I said in the piece, uh, I think there's a very reasonable argument now and, and, and there will be in the summer that he should be the second receiver off the board behind Cooper Cup. Wes Phillips, the new offensive coordinator from Minnesota, had a, a, what I thought was a, a noteworthy comment uh, the other day, which was, uh, and I'll, I, I know reading quotes is it makes for compelling podcasting. So it does. I'll try to I'll try to make this as short as possible. But the people need to know. And and uh, he said, uh, I think any coordinator who's good will tell you the running game is important. But I would say that winning the game is most important. This is this is honestly very refreshing to hear. It's a game changer. Uh, Wes Phillips continued. Uh, so the running game is certainly important and you will always feel better about staying on track, not being in second and longs, third and longs where more of your playbook is available. Uh, he went on to basically just say that uh, we're not going to run the ball just to run the ball, which, you know, the the Mike Zimmer Vikings, they, they did that. And arguably, if you look at the numbers, they did that. They were way under one of the lowest pass rate over expected on second and longs on third and longs. You know, because I, I think that the the overarching thought and, and strategy for for that Mike Zimmer uh, coached offense, I know he didn't coach the offense, but uh, for his staff was we don't want to score too many points. You know, we, we want to run. We want to balance. We don't want Kirk Cousins to hurt us. Mike Zimmer, by the way, according to uh, anonymous quotes out of Minnesota, not a fan of Kirk Cousins. This is what a surprise. This is breaking. This is breaking. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> I just, oh, I just thought he loved the guy. I mean, yeah, the, the head coach, the head coach didn't like the coach killer. It turns out. <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, the, the, these West Phillips, uh, he's again, offensive coordinator for, for the Vikings. These comments, I, I think really speak to unleashing, uncapping Justin Jefferson next season. You use coach killer for Kirk Cousins the way like NASA does for like certain <laughs> asteroids. Like that's a planet killer if it ever got in our orbit. Like that's how you talk about Kirk Cousins and uh, this coach killing. And so, you know, as we know, 2021 in some ways was like the revenge of the run. As we saw like the Chiefs, the Bills, like it's bad if you can't run at all. Like you have to be able to run the ball in modern football. It's as sad as it is. But like, as you said, it's never going to be good when you run just for the sake of it. And right. the Cowboys vividly demonstrated that last year. The Vikings vividly demonstrated that. And it's it's like annoying like, to celebrate someone clearing such a low bar saying, oh, yeah, we're not going to run like just because uh, it's worth celebrating. But it really is worth celebrating. And like the Vikings are still going to run the ball a ton when you have Dalvin Cook. But I, I think you can just bake it in that they're going to run smarter in 2022. Yeah. And even if like the overall like volume ends up close to the same, you can just we can just take for granted that it's going to be smarter, more sensible approach to the running game, which in turn will of course greatly help Justin Jefferson. It, it, it's hard to it's hard to overstate how dominant Justin Jefferson was in 2021. Uh, he was tied with Devontae Adams uh, for the highest whopper in the league, and I'll explain that what that is. That's not the genocidal computer from the 1983 movie War Games. <laughs> Uh, but rather a weighted average of a player's target market share. So he was tied with Adams, and we all know Adams is like the ultimate target hog in, in the Packers offense. Let's see, he had um, the highest percentage. Justin Jefferson had the highest percentage of his team's air yards. Uh, so just, everything, all of the peripheral numbers point to Jefferson having an enormous ceiling 
And I think that this, this coaching staff could finally explore that in 2022. I think I would be very interested in betting if I was a betting man on Justin Jefferson leading the league and receiving in 2022, but I think he could very easily have a 2,000 yard season. Sure. Um, maybe very easily is overstating something that's never happened. But in the first 17 game season, Cooper Cup came close, yep. and it's going to happen in the next few years. I think I Justin Jefferson's like as good of a candidate as any. I don't know if he'd finish as the wide receiver. So basically, would you rather have Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase? I feel like Jamar Chase could have like the Devonte Adams level, like touchdown number, like 18 to 20 touchdowns. You know, an absurd amount. I mean, he could threaten for 2,000 yards too. How much downfield damage? Today on March 1st, are you drafting Justin Jefferson or are you drafting Jamar Chase? I'd go Jefferson if only because Chase still has T. Higgins on the other side. I, I also tend to think that Zach Taylor is not, not the best coach despite the uh, success. Super Bowl, didn't he? Last year. Yeah, I, I did hear that. Uh, but, uh, um, I, I, I'm a little bit skeptical of, of that really, really great usage that Chase saw down the stretch in 2021. Uh, I, I would go, I would go with Jefferson. Are we drafting Chase and Jefferson? Are we drafting both of them over Devonte Adams? Oh, well, I have them ranked ahead of Devonte Adams in my initial rankings. Is, is this, uh, well, is this assuming Rogers is back? It, yeah. I guess assuming Rogers is back. Uh, I had cup one. Uh, Chase two, Jefferson three, and Devontae okay. Adams four. I mean, it, it's it's uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't quibble. I won't quibble with that. Um, I, yeah, I just feel like man, Adams's floor is the highest in fantasy football. It's even higher than Cooper Cup's floor. But I think Jefferson and Chase's floors are high enough. Yeah, that I'd still rather bet on their ceiling over Devonte Adams' ceiling at this point. I mean, it's it's hard to you can it, quibble, it, right? You can debate it. Right. We, we, we don't quibble on this show. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I probably would go Adams over chase. Denny, what, what receivers do you want to talk about next? You had AJ Brown. Should we just go in order of what you've said in Slack? Sure. Do you want to talk about AJ Brown, Denny? Do I? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, the takeaway was that even though 2021 really stunk for those of us who were excited about AJ Brown and drafted him, in the second round, really, and when it all came down to it, everything was intact beyond the actual raw production numbers. Like he, he was a downfield tar- uh, target dominator. He was an intermediate target dominator. He did a lot with the ball when he when he got the ball in that low volume Tennessee passing offense. Julio Jones had virtually no impact on AJ Brown's usage, which you know, it was in some question. I think when when they when they brought in Julio, it was. I remember talking about it and saying, you know, does this does this take away that that massive opportunity upside for Brown? And uh, it turns out it did not. It did not. So he definitely qualifies as one of the hard luck receivers from 2021. And um, if he cannot have to go to the blue tent every fourth play next year, I think that would be excellent. The thing with AJ Brown and the injuries is that each of the past two seasons, he's basically like injured coming into the season. Yeah. And it does seem like. Hopefully he doesn't have like a degenerative knee issue or something because he, he does have some pretty bad like long-term injury red flags. Like maybe someone you don't want to be like all the way in on in, in dynasty leagues. Right. But for 2022, yeah, I think it's all systems go for sure for AJ. And like he's got a special season in him. Like he's going to have a special season over the next two or three years and it could very, very easily be in 2022. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Denny. What's what's going on here? Right. Is, is DeAndre is he on the downslope? 
Um, are yeah. we are we getting concerned here? I'm concerned, and I think folks will will see that. Uh, it, you know, he's entering his age 30 season. Yikes! Um, so nothing good happens after the age of 30. So that, trust me on that, folks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't kill to be 31 again, but uh, yeah, he. he uh, so the the alarming thing is that even before his injury, uh, he was not dominating targets the way that we had seen him dominate targets in 2020. Um, his, his whopper, the aforementioned whopper was down significantly. Um, his, his regular old uh, normie target share down significantly um, yards per target down yards per reception down. So, you know, the, things were, things were not looking great for him even before the injury. Now, I wouldn't say they would be catastrophic. They would have been catastrophic if he would have been able to play 16, 17 games. But there, I think there's reason to sort of hedge and and see see where he falls uh, in in drafts. I I would certainly be hesitant to to draft him among the elite receivers this season. I just wonder if his legs are going after a guy who's been so physical. Like that's been his bread and butter. Like his calling card is basically like winning hand fights on the sideline. So I do worry if he's just in physical decline, but I will say like basically all of his target competition is a free agent. Like Christian Kirk's a free agent. AJ Green's a free agent. Zach Ertz is a free agent. Chase yeah. Edmonds is a free agent. James Connor. So they're bringing in like a whole new cast of characters. I mean, they'll probably resign one or two of those guys, but the, I don't think there's basically no way the target competition could be as fierce in 2022. And maybe he'll kind of default back into a bigger target share but yeah there are concerning i don't know like do him and kyler murray like each other anymore does anyone like each other on this team anymore there's a lot of weird stuff going on there yeah Um, can we we talk about kyler murray's agent's letter yeah public letter Um, (laughs) would it kill you to have a lowercase letter at some point i mean i mean that i mean it's just everything about it uh all caps it was 700 words it was um that that weird uh you know cut and paste logo at the bottom yeah. of Kyler Murray with yeah, one leg yeah. up praying yeah. I mean, what well, you know let's let's do better next time agent I mean you and I are definitely as people on Twitter remind us maybe like we're very pro player uh, sure. we take the pro player stance in pretty much any dispute uh but man if you're pro player you, this is not a good approach for Kyler Murray I will say you still have to acknowledge like the reality of the system and it doesn't seem like this is going to be a, a good way to achieve Kyler Murray's stated goal of getting that extension this yeah. summer and that he would have been much, much better off had this letter not existed. And yeah, no, it's uh, it, it comes off as uh, dare I say petulant. Yes, it does. And, you know, he's a, by all accounts, an extremely intense person. He's kind of like a throwback personality. Like athletes didn't used to be like quite so chill, uh, you know, yeah. like, like oh, the yeah. athletes have by and large gotten chiller, which is kind of hard to believe. There's still a lot of intense ones, but they were far more intense in like the eighties and nineties. And he seems more of like an eighties, nineties personality to me, where he's like, he's just like, I'm sure he's like cussing out teammates all the time. I'm sure he's like, <laughs> like spiking footballs, like in the dirt, like angry at practice. Um, I, and that doesn't fly as much as it used to, but he's a very, very intense guy. Right. I will say uh, Michael Bidwell, the owner of the Cardinals, had some uh, not helpful comments. Uh, although he said <laughs> he he loves Kyler Murray, he said that okay, which is which is great. That's fine. That you is know. good. Love is good. And then and then he followed it up with the not helpful part, which was, and I think he'll continue to improve. 
what is he what is he saying what is like like basically he's saying like don't worry fans i believe in our quarterback he can be better he can't he literally can't be better unless he's going to be like like aaron Rodgers type efficiency he was fourth in epa per drop back before his ankle injury what, what do you want yeah, it's it's gonna be an interesting offseason in Arizona, which has never been said before. People have never really used to care about the Cardinals, and now they do. Um, no offense, the Cardinals, who they're from St. Louis. That's probably why. Uh, Denny Terry McLaurin, another yeah. player you wanted to talk about. Man, McLaurin. Oh God, McLaurin is, honestly was maybe the most hard luck guy uh, receiver uh, in the first three or four rounds. Uh, basically, it comes down to Taylor Heineke being among the five worst deep ball throwers. He was bad in the league. He led the league by a pretty wide margin in interceptions on pass attempts of over 20 yards. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's really funny. Yeah. Really funny. yeah. <laughs> not, not good. Not good. Heineke was, I think was kind of low key horrendous. Yeah. Uh, I mean, no one, it's not like we had like super high expectations from, but I do agree. People didn't realize just how bad he was by the end of the season. Like he was bad enough where he definitely should not have been starting still. No. Yeah. Well, and they, and they just had no one else. And then remember they went super, super run heavy and, um, and that crushed McLaurin's value that crushed Logan Thomas or whoever was the tight end at that point. Um, but, but McLaurin dominated, you know, uh, t- uh, targets, he dominated air yards. He had 41% of Washington's air yards, which trailed only Justin Jefferson in 2021. Um, he had a, a, a good number of uh, of deep balls. Um, he couldn't, he only came down with 11 of them. He had 33 targets and more than 20, 20 yards. He only came down with 11. And, you know, I, I watched a lot of Washington games last season and um i will you say that we'll never stop reminding us if you just get sunday ticket Denny, this would be don't take terrible. it as a personal attack i <laughs> i enjoyed it a staple of watching washington games as i'm sure fans would know if there are any fans left is is terry mclaurin running down the sideline wide open and having to make an unholy adjustment on the ball yes. um just just to have a chance just to have a small chance at grabbing the the end of the ball as it floats out of bounds that's the sort of thing that that crushed his fantasy prospects uh, last year. But I, I I think that you know we can look forward maybe to Washington having a, a something of a quarterback upgrade. They they cannot go into the season with Heineke under center. No, no. And you were saying that the tight end by the end of the season it was uh, Chris Cooley. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Chris Cooley! Yeah. Chris wow. Cooley. Yeah. Then I believe Niles Paul was backing him up. <laughs> the end of the season so then the, the last player on the agenda was stefan diggs well talk about a weird 2022 and you you got a, a lot of the the good stats in your article again check out yeah. the article very very illuminating but yeah stefan diggs said one of the strange i mean still productive but one of the stranger 2022s amongst the wide receiver amongst the preseason wide receiver yeah ones, i should say so the easy stuff pretty much went away completely for stefan diggs in 2021 and by easy stuff i mean those intermediate targets that he was just gobbling up by the handful throughout 2020, just eat the easy PPR points underneath. Uh, they, they weren't there. You know, they went to Cole Beasley for a time. They went to Dawson Knox. They went to uh, Devin Singletary at some point late in the season. There was more running by Josh Allen in those situations where they just need to pick up a few yards. So it, it, it really hurt him. But uh, for the second straight season, Stefan Diggs was second in air yards, air yards among all receivers. 
He took in 35% of Buffalo's air yards, which is a, a pretty big number. It's huge, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, he recorded uh, 33 downfield targets last season after seeing just 16 deep balls in 2020. So, in other words, his usage changed. Like, his usage became less reliable and more volatile downfield type opportunities. And so, if those don't hit... It's going to look ugly, and it did for for a lot of 2021. Yeah, I had, would have never guessed that until I read it in the article that his downfield targets had literally doubled. Yeah. And maybe that might not have been the case if the Bills have been properly using Gabriel Davis all season. They didn't really start unleashing Gabe till the end of the season, or he started doing some damage down the field. He had a lot of 20-plus yard catches down the stretch. And I just feel like the wild card for Steph Diggs is definitely – I mean, there's going to be a lot of like accusations of like point chasing with Gabriel Davis, but I, I do feel like it's maybe a red flag when you have a, t- have a young receiver on your team that everyone knows is super talented, and then he catches eight passes for 200 yards <laughs> and four touchdowns in the biggest game of the year, scores five touchdowns on 10 playoff catches. It will be something, I feel like, to at least monitor. Step- is, you know, da- Dawson Knox, too, emerging is a bigger play threat yeah. on the scene. Just something to keep an eye on with Steph Diggs. For sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think Diggs' uh, redraft price will probably drop. His his ADP will probably drop from what we saw last year by, by maybe a good margin. And, and you're right. I mean, the ascension of, of Davis, Dawson Knox taking on a bigger role. And, and actually, uh, Joe Bus- Buscaglia from The Athletic, who covers the Bills, had a piece last week, said, uh, watch for Dawson Knox's role to grow in this offense. So that 2020 for Diggs may have been uh, a bit of an outlier. It might have been yeah, the high water mark. And yeah, I'm typically, yeah, this is my, when my 22 year old teammate has an historically good performance in the biggest, most watched game of the season, sometimes, yeah, I get a little concerned about that. But I will say, too, maybe the target tree re narrows a little bit with Cole Beasley out of the picture, probably Emmanuel Sanders, probably out of the picture. I think maybe even Isaiah McKenzie's a free agent. Mm, yeah. um, so the target tree could be narrowing. And I still have two guys that you're going to be fighting for high value targets with and Dawson Knox and Gabriel Davis, but maybe even just like a subtle narrowing of the bills target tree could help keep Steph Diggs afloat. You know, it's like at least a top eight wide receiver one. So any other wide receiver thoughts, Denny, or do, do, should people just read the article? I would appreciate it if they read it. Uh, you know, I, I know reading is a beta trait, but you know, <laughs> you know, it, it, give it a try. You, you might like it. Yeah, I don't read. I just have someone scream it at me out of my computer screen from a, a TikTok that's been curated that's on Twitter somehow. Right. You you can you can you can call me and I'll read it to you guys. Yeah, <laughs> Denny is a oh, he's a phone talker. I'm. I, are you a phone talker? By the way. Um, uh- um, I don't know if I qualify as one, but I, I, I mean, in, in by modern standards, I think I am. Yeah, I'm a phone talker. As you know, I will frequently call you up out of the blue. I know when, when, when I was first when I was new, I would be like, what, what the hell's going on? <laughs> no, sorry. This guy calling me. <laughs> I call people. What kind of sicko? I know I'm a sick person. I like <laughs> to use the phone. Thank you so much for listening today. You are not a sick person for listening to the show, folks. Um, we had another great show today. I would say check out Patrick Crane's show later in the week. Check out our draft show from Monday with Mr. Matt Straub, Thor Nystrom, and Kyle Dvorak. Check out our website all week. There's going to be a lot of news going up. Everyone's giving press conferences at the NFL Combine, so it's going to be a busy week on the news page. Um, yeah, thank you so much for listening. For Denny, I am Pat. We will catch you later. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.